0: Well, grab your Bibles if you would. We are concluding, go to Acts chapter 2. We are concluding uh, our Rhythms of Life series today. We're going to be looking at four rhythms that are essential to the life of a believer. And really, these rhythms that we're going to look at today that are so essential to the life of a believer also are going to define for us what it means to live a life that's engaged in the life of the local church. And so this is, these four rhythms that we're going to look at today are really going to help us understand, so not only individually do I need to have these rhythms as a part of my life, but these four rhythms really are the indicators or they define for us what it means to be truly connected to the local church. One of the issues that we have, I believe, as Christians in America, is that we have lost in our culture of Christianity The significance of being a part of the covenant community of faith, of what it means to not just attend church, but to belong to a church. We have this this mentality in America, which again is is great when it comes to certain parts of our culture, but when it comes to church, it, it it can really harm us that we have this sense of rugged individualism. You know what I'm talking about? Like if you just roll your your sleeves up, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you can do it on your own, I don't need anyone, that mentality. And what happens is is that rugged individualism creeps into our spiritual life and we attempt to live the life that God created us to live in community. We try to live that life in isolation and we fail miserably. And here's what I believe has hurt us. is that we, we are inundated right now with the accessibility of Christian literature when we can go to Christian conferences, we can listen to podcasts and preaching. And some of the best preachers in America are available just at our fingertips. We're able to go to Bible studies all over the community. We're, we're able to have uh, you know, the, the, the gospel preached in our living rooms on demand. And because of this, what, we, we ha- what happens is that we end up substituting those things for the local church. And God's intention is never for that to be the case. So here's what I would just simply say is that that it's not that those things are wrong. Those things could be very helpful to my spiritual journey. But those things cannot be a substitute for the local church and our participation in the local church. You see, here's what we need to understand. The local church, according to the scriptures and by Jesus, is intended to be. Now check this out. Eyes right here for a moment. The local church is intended to be the center of the Christian life, at the very core of the Christian life. This is what Jesus intended, the local church, to be not just something that we do as Christians, but the the, the place and the people we belong to as Christians. That that is the centerpiece of our life. And you see this all through the scriptures. God's intention has always been to gather a people, right? Right? What does he tell Adam and Eve? Go be fruitful and multiply. Why? I want my image bearers. I want to gather a people. What does he do when he calls Moses? I want you to go, or calls Abraham rather. You're going to go and be a nation. You're going to, you're going to be a people, a covenant community. What does he tell Moses? Moses, go and deliver Let my people, because I want a community. What does Jesus do in the very beginning of his ministry? He calls disciples, he gathers a people. What does he do upon his ascension? He says, okay, go now and make disciples of all nations. And you see the church of Jesus Christ formed. Why? Because God is gathering a people. In fact, let me just say it like this. The, 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 the local church is so central to the life of a believer. If you read the New Testament, now check this out. If you read the New Testament, you'll discover this. Not one Christian is given any instructions in the New Testament outside the local church. So just think about that. Uh, The book of Ephesians, was that written to individual Christians? No, it was written to the church at Ephesus, the book of Galatians. Think about the, the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. They were written to Timothy in the context of what the church should look like. All the instructions that you find of what it looks like to live the Christian life are given not just through the local church, they're given to the local church. So you don't find really any Christian address in the New Testament apart from the gathering of the local church. In fact, the book of Hebrews is so um, direct in this that when you look at the book of Hebrews, Christians were being persecuted because of their connection to the covenant community. And so what they would do is is that uh, so that they could be relieved of their persecution, they were disfellowshipping or disassociating themselves with the fellowship of believers. They were disconnecting themselves from the body. And, and And the writer of Hebrews says this, is that for you to forsake The assembling of yourself together to forsake the body of Christ is to forsake Christ himself. It is to to abandon the church in the book of Hebrews is to abandon Jesus. So the church, the local church, is center and central to the Christian experience. Now, some of you might be asking this question. Are you saying that you have to be a part of a church to become a Christian? And the answer is no. I'm not saying that you have to become a part of the church to become a Christian. Uh, There are plenty of people that go to church every single week who are not Christian, right? Amen? No, no, no. You become a Christian through repenting of your sin and, 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 and placing your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as your only hope for salvation. But when you become a Christian, to be Christian is to be immersed into a local church. So I don't go to church to become a Christian, but I do go to church because I am a Christian. I belong to a people. And this is what I want us to see this morning. So today we're going to look at four rhythms that every Christian should practice within the context of a local church. And the reason I bring this up on this very, the kickoff Sunday being the, the wrap-up of our Rhythms of Life series is because I think uh, coronavirus has had two different effects for two different groups of people. I think for many people, the coronavirus has knocked us out of the rhythm of participation. And others, I'll be honest with you, others, we're going to see people all all morning long who, because of coronavirus, have been reconnected to the body of Christ. They had a crisis and began to watch online, and and many of them are going to watch online today who have not been in church in, in years. Some people are going to gather in the room today. Uh, maybe for the first time or maybe just recently engaging in the local church because of coronavirus. But I believe that this has thrown us kind of into, um, out of rhythm, I would say, that last week I was playing basketball with a group of guys. And, uh, and this is when you know you're starting to get old. Uh, is when you know everybody's out there before you start playing talking about man I had to be careful what I ate for lunch because I just can't run and eat what I used to eat and go do this other guys like me are talking about how sore our knees are and our back are because we played three weeks ago and uh, we we still haven't recovered but here's when you know the game is getting old we had a dude go down into AFib last week and uh, seriously like like he stops the game and he walks over, and he sits down, and no one panics. He's like, I'm just an AFib. And we're like, all right, game on. Let's keep playing. And um, he's sitting over there, and we're like, what, what's, what's going on? And, and he said, oh, I'm, I'm good. Just give me a few minutes, and uh, I'll have to take a beta blocker in a minute. If not, I may call the ER. But we're all good. So we just kept playing. All was good. That's when you know it's an old man game right there. Dude's almost having a heart attack, and everybody's like, that's just part of life now. He said, what is AFib? AFib is when... One of the chambers of your heart gets out of rhythm with the other chamber of your heart. And it can be very damaging if you stay there. You can have a lot of health issues if you stay out of rhythm. And here's what I believe. I believe coronavirus for many of us have thrown us into a spiritual AFib. We're just out of rhythm with this thing in our life that we, so today I'm hoping that the sermon today is a beta blocker for you that it'll, it'll, it'll knock you back into rhythm today. So Acts chapter 2 is where we are. This is a passage of Scripture that's very familiar to those of you at New Beginnings. I preach this text at least once a year because this really gives us the substance of our vision and who we are as a church. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42. If you're there, say, I'm there. This is what it says, and they, this is the new church formed, 3,000 believers get saved on the day of Pentecost. And what did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believe were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to All as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord, everybody say, The Lord, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, there's a word here that I want you to make sure that you highlight or underline in your text. It's simply this in verse 42 it says, And they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. This word, Uh, Devoted here, um, it it means to continue to do something with intense effort. It's to to continually to to do an action with not just uh, 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 a a lackadaisical approach, but rather with an intense, intentional effort. And in the the part of speech it's in, it's an imperfect tense in the Greek language. So why is that important? So let me kind of translate it the way that you would understand the imperfect tense. They were devoted... And they never stopped being devoted. They were devoted and they never stopped being devoted. So, what is happening here is that the writer of the book of Acts, Luke, is describing the rhythm of the early church. They had a practice, they had habits. They, they were devoted. They, they continued to do these things over and over and over again. They never stopped doing these things. So the question we need to ask is, what is the rhythm of the early church? What is the rhythm of the New Testament church? What does it mean for me to have this rhythm developed in my life so that I'm walking in, in fellowship with the local body the way that Jesus intended for me to uh, walk in? So I'm glad you asked that question. I'm going to answer it. So I'm going to give you a four four rhythms, and these four rhythms you will recognize if you're a part of New Beginnings as our four core values as a church. You see, these values that we hold are not just great statements that we go, hey, everything starts with a G. It sounds really cool. Let's put it on the wall. No, 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 no. These, these are, 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 are what we find in the text, and these are values because these are rhythms that we believe the New Testament church should practice and that every believer should be connected to a local church and should practice these rhythms as well. So let me give you the first one. Four rhythms. Write these down if you're taking notes. The first one is going to be something you're all familiar with. It's gathering worship. They were devoted to gathering in worship. It is evident that this early church valued engaging God's presence together. We see here in this passage of Scripture, they they had small group gatherings in home, but they also had large corporate gatherings at the temple. At these gatherings, they preached, they prayed, they observed the Lord's Supper. When it says they broke bread together, that, that, that breaking of bread, there's kind of two ideas here. One, they had a fellowship meal, so they shared life together. We'll talk more about that in a minute of, of sharing meals together. But the idea here is, is that they didn't just share a meal and have potluck. They broke the bread of communion together. So this was an expression of worship. They sang praises with reverent and joyful hearts. But most importantly, listen to this, they encountered God's presence together. It says in verse 43, it says, and awe came upon every soul. Why? Because they were experiencing the presence of God collectively together as the body of Christ. And listen, as you see through the book of Acts, these gatherings become more defined. And you get into church history and you begin to hear what the gatherings look like. It helps us understand that what we do each and every week as a worship, as we gather in worship, that we are a part of a history that is rich and is full. That we are joining uh, thousands of years of tradition as we gather this morning to sing and worship. I want you to hear what Justin Martyr in uh, his writings called First Apology as He tells the story of the church. Look what he says here in, in the, the writings of history. He says, And on the day called Sunday, all who live in the cities or in the country gather together in one place. And the memoirs of the apostles, so the scriptures are, are being read. When he says the memoirs of the apostles, it's the writings of scripture or the writings of the prophets, so the Old Testament are read. As long as time permits, that's my favorite part. So so those of you who are like, man, you preach too long. Like, they did it as long as time permitted. Some of you were like, that's why we have a clock back there for you, pastor. Um, So as long as time permits. Then when the reader has ceased, the president, um, this is the person who was presiding over the gathering. This is would verbally instruct and exhort to the imitation of these good things. In other words, they would read the scriptures And then they would stand up and someone would exhort them, let's go live like this, let's go do like this. This is what it looks like practically to walk in what we just read. So they're preaching and exhorts to to the imitation of these good things. Then all rise together and they pray. And then it talks about the fact that they would often break bread and take the cup and they would drink of the cup and they would remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Then he goes on to say this, but Sunday is the day on which we hold our common assembly. Because it is the first day on which God, having wrought a change in the darkness and matter. In other words, it's the first day of creation. But there's more to it. He made the world. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day rose from the dead. So every Sunday, the early church would gather They would gather together. They wouldn't just assemble in home churches. They would gather together in one location and they would lift their voices and they would open God's word and they would center the preaching of God's word and they would pray together and they would observe the Lord's Supper together and they engaged together, remembering that on this day, our Savior rose from the grave. So can I help you this morning? Every single Sunday is Easter Sunday. Why do we gather in worship on Sunday? Because we are gathering together, remembering that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive, that our Lord and Savior conquered death, hell, and the grave, and what has brought us together is our faith and trust in Him. And this is why the worship gathering should be essential. We talk about that word a lot in our culture today. Should be essential for the believer because this is a source of life and vitality. For us, now, listen, I know that in the season we 're in, many people, because of health reasons, need to observe the services online, and I think that is okay, and here 's what my encouragement would be is, is first of all, uh, make sure it 's not your excuse uh, just to hang home in pajamas, and if it is a season of life where someone has to watch from a distance then Make it a sacred moment. Don't watch it four hours later while you're driving down the road to get to somewhere, to get it off your checklist. Get up. Get dressed. Get your Bible and get a pen and get ready and pray and prepare your heart to engage live with the body of Christ. Why? Because that means you're a part of the gathering of the saints. This is critical for us to gather together and celebrate the resurrection of Christ listen church listen God moves in a unique way when we gather together you see God is personal his presence is accessible um, for all of us as believers I I believe that I can encounter tomorrow morning when I spend time in prayer I can encounter God's presence amen and so can you but there is something about encountering God's presence as the people of God gathering together that is distinct and unique from the experience of God's presence that I have when I'm at home by myself. Because I am joined together by the hearts of the collected saints celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And by the way, I'm just so proud of our church. Listen, I, I, again, if, you're, if, you, if you don't have a mask on, it's just not me Pick it on you, I love the fact that the majority, if not almost every single person here, it came in with a mask on. And you're sitting here and say, So, why are you bringing that up again? It's because I really believe, I really believe that we are in a season right now where, even with the restrictions of what is expected of us, even just socially, not just medically, but socially, um, as we gather together, not only does it honor the Lord in the community, but it says to the world around us, we are willing to worship even if we're worshiping with discomfort. That Jesus is worthy of my mask. And this is a beautiful thing. I know many of you are anticipating college football. Anybody here hoping college football happens? Yeah, some of you. Uh, I, I know for one, I am very much hoping football uh, happens. And, um, and anticipating this. Um, but, it, but one of the things I was thinking about as I was thinking about college football is how much time we, we spend in preparation. What, what, what alarms me about a lot of Christians is that like when college football season comes around, we will guard our calendar and nothing interrupts game time. Not only that, we will get up early and prepare the day and get the yard work done and get the grill going and get the friends called and get all the stuff taken care of so that when kickoff time comes, I am uninterrupted for the next three hours. In other words, we anticipate it and then we take careful planning and preparing for it so that when it happens, we don't miss a thing. What if, what if that is how we approached our gathering and worship every single week? I'm going to guard my calendar. I want to make sure nothing slips in here. I want to make sure that, that, that Saturday night I put everything in order so that when Sunday morning gets here, my heart is prepared. I'm going to get there early. I'm going to get my seat. I'm going to have my Bible. I'm going to find people to encourage. I don't want to miss the meeting of God's people where we get to worship the fact that our Savior is alive. What if we took college game day preparation? To the Sunday gathering. How much more would we see a movement of God in our midst? That's number one. Here's number two. Number two is grow through community. growth through community. Look what he says in verse 47. He says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, now listen to the phrase here, to the fellowship. Everybody say the fellowship. Everybody say the. The. Let me say fellowship. Notice he didn't say, and they devoted themselves to fellowship. It's the, definite article, the fellowship. Why? Because Luke is not referring to a potluck luncheon, if you're old school Baptist. He's not referring to just a gathering at at someone's house and we're just going to go together and have a meal. When he says they devoted themselves to the fellowship, it's to the koinonia. In other words, it's to the people. It wasn't about a, a specific event they attended. No, they devoted themselves to the fellowship to one another. I love this because this was a part of the rhythm of their life, the partnership that they had in the gospel. They were devoted to one another, doing life together. It wasn't just large gatherings, but it was a, an opportunity for them to get into smaller gatherings in each other's home where they intentionally held one another accountable, walked in humility with one another. They didn't just observe church as spectators, but they engaged personally in relationship so that they and others could grow spiritually. This is what we find in the New Testament. is that the early church not only devoted to gathering in large groups, if they were devoted to what we would call life groups. Gathering in smaller segments where relationships can be established, where God's word can be digested, where encouragement, we can speak truth in the other's heart and, and grow together. And listen, I know that in our culture, again, of rugged individualism, there's this mentality is that it's just, I just need my Bible and Jesus and me, and I'm good. The problem is, is that Jesus did not design the Christian life to operate like that you will never become the follower of Jesus that you were called to become apart from engaging and doing life with other believers I need it this is why here at our church our staff is expected to be in a life group not as a pastor when I go to life group I'm not clocking in to more man hours on the job I'm going to share life with the people that I'm linking up with not as a pastor of New Beginnings, but as a member of the fellowship of New Beginnings. And by the way, did you know that the majority, let's just check this out. Did you know that the majority of the commands that you're called to do as Christians, you can't do in isolation? You can't. Like you say, it's just me and Jesus in my Bible. The problem is the things that you're called to do. When you open your Bible and read it, you'll learn very quickly that I need other people in order to do the things that he's called me to do. And then to enable me to do this, I also need other people speaking into my life. Here's just one example. Did you know that there are 59 what we call one another's in the New Testament? 59 one another's. This is commands that we are commanded to do in the context of community toward one another. So here's the question: If you're living in rugged individualism, where you just come into worship and you just leave, and you just have, how can you, in the local context, which is where these commands are given, the one another's or the one another's in the local church, how can you obey these commands and walk in isolation? You can't do the one another's without what? One another. It's not easy. And and they make it explicitly clear that it's not easy. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians. He says, be patient, bearing with one another in love. I love this. He says this in uh, Colossians 3.13, bear with each other. So in both of these situations, let me interpret that for you. Put up with each other tolerate each other. And by the way, you need patience and you need love. Why? Because some people are going to make it really hard. And if you don't have patience and love, you're not going to be able to bear with one another. But it is an imperative that we bear with one another. So listen, you go, man, it's just easier. Life group's tough because you get people in there, different personalities. And man, I just don't mesh with everybody. Yeah, that's why Paul says bear with one another. Because guess what? Somebody's bearing up for you. How do we grow spiritually if we're only around people that we can tolerate really well and that can tolerate us really well? We all have in common everything in common and no conflict. How will I ever grow in Christ-like love, in patience? Bear up with one another. It's not easy. We, we need this in our life. Listen, I want, if this is, a, this is a sign of spiritual maturity, you ready for this? I want our church to be a church that one another's One another well. I want New Beginnings Baptist Church to be a church that one another's one another well, because that is where spiritual maturity is discovered. Here is number three: we give to the kingdom. We give to the kingdom. It overflows in a life of generosity. Look what he says in verse forty-four. Verse forty-four it says, "And all who believed were together, and all things in common." And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. See, listen, they were living with a radical generosity. They made sacrifices and they gave an order for God's people um, to be cared for and for the mission of God to be advanced. You see this again in Acts chapter 5. God's people bringing their offerings and financial gifts to the apostles in order for the kingdom of God to be advanced to the local church. Listen, radical and faithful generosity is one of the greatest evidences of men and women uh, who have been, that men and women have been transformed by the grace of God. Why? Because when I understand the radical generosity that God has displayed to me, and I truly get that, guess what's going to happen in my heart? I'm going to become a radically generous person. And this is where there needs to be faithfulness, that we don't just gather in worship, we don't just grow in community, but we give to the kingdom. We believe that God is doing something through the local church, therefore we devote a portion of our income and we are open-handed with everything else we have so that God's kingdom might be advanced, not because he needs our money, but because God has entrusted to us what rightfully belongs to him so that we with a loving and grateful and gracious heart might give it back to him to advance his purposes. This is a part of the participatory relationship that God has created us to live in. He generously gives to us and then does a a work of grace in our hearts so that we then become gracious and we give back to what he's doing. It's that relationship that God wants to establish with us, and generosity is a part of the equation. You see, when we truly encounter his radical generosity, it will turn us into radically generous people. One of the defining markers of spiritual maturity, listen to this, is not how much you know about the gospel, but how much you exemplify the gospel in the way that you live. So developing the rhythm of generosity is one of the ways that you imitate the gospel in your life. And this is the sign of spiritual maturity. So let me help you. It's not how many verses you can quote, and I hope you can quote a lot of them. The question is, is the, the verses you quote, what do they look like in your everyday life? You might be able to articulate the gospel eloquently and beautifully and mesmerize people that are around you, but here is the thing. If you are not walking in gospel generosity, then it doesn't matter how eloquently you can present the gospel if the gospel hasn't penetrated your heart. This is what needs to happen in all of us, and I'll just tell you. Let me confess, all right? I struggled with this early in my Christian life, even as a pastor, I've confessed this to you for years of working on a church staff. My wife and I, when we first got married, we were so unfaithful in the area of generosity. And we used all the excuses. Like, I remember we were broke as a joke. I'm talking about we didn't have pets because the roaches that were in our apartment, we could just put saddles on them and ride them like horses. I mean, we we didn't have anything. And here's what we thought. Because of that, we don't have to give anything. And the truth is, if you really looked at the financial position, there are a lot of people in the world um, who, who would look at what we had, what we thought was poverty, and would think that was wealth, right? So wealth is a relative term. And what we discovered through the years is that as we increased in our ability to live and expand the enjoyment of life with pleasures and comforts around us, that while our wealth was increasing, our level of generosity stayed the same. Because the issue wasn't what I had, but rather what had me. That was the issue. And so after six or seven years of disobedience, the Lord broke us. We repented of that. We worked our budget. The first thing we started with was, God, we want to set aside a portion of our income to advance your kingdom. We want to be faithful in this, and through the years we have kept that and have increased that through the years. i not, not saying this to, 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 to make you think well of me. I'm saying this to say we missed it for a long time, but then discovered the joy of generosity and recognized that, man, the more I get to know who I am in Christ and what Christ has done to redeem me, the more my heart is softened toward living generously with the world around me. And so if you may be in that situation where you're like, man, we're not faithful in this area. Okay, listen, you're in good company neither was I, but the Lord did something in my heart that changed that, and I would encourage you, say, where do I start? I would just start with sitting down and talking to your spouse, or maybe if you're a single person, sitting down and evaluating your income, refocusing your budget, and just dedicating a portion of the Lord. Say, where do I start? I would encourage you to maybe start with a tenth, because that's where you see the Bible start, and just set that aside and say, we're going to devote that to the Lord. So that we can see his kingdom expand on earth. And listen, if you're just saying, man, here we go again. We're at church and the pastor's talking about money again. Well, you've not been in this church much because I don't talk about it a lot. But I'm also not going to forfeit the opportunity for you to experience spiritual growth in your life. Because giving to the kingdom is a rhythm that is expected as a believer. And I don't want you to miss the opportunity to experience all the blessings that God has for you by living in the rhythms that he's created for you as a follower of Jesus. Are you with me? Say amen. Here's number four. Write this down. We go on mission. We go on mission. And, and by the way, the, the, the dollars that we invest, this enables us to go on mission. Amen? I mean, you realize that the, the past few months, coronavirus has been a busy busy season. George Willis is back here. You guys need to put your hands together and thank Jesus for that guy. Wave at us, George, for a second. I'm telling you, that guy's getting it done. He and Krista are just killing it from our missions standpoint. Thousands of teachers have been served these past few months on a several occasions. We have seen thousands of boxes of food being distributed by you. We have seen tens of thousands of dollars being donated either through, through food or, or purchases of food with our budget that you generously give to We have seen thousands of of medical and first responders cared for during this season. All of this because of the faithful generosity of you. We've been able to give backpacks away and cut hair. I know y'all celebrated that a couple of weeks ago. We are able to see our missions giving continue to be faithful, investing in ministries like the Roots Network. All of this is because of your generosity to the mission of God. And this is why we don't just give to the kingdom. We go on mission. We go on mission. Look what it says in verse 47. It says, I'm praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God was using this church to change the world. Think about this, a handful of believers, 120 in an upper room who are filled with the Spirit, who believe that Jesus is alive, leaves the upper room, proclaims the message of the gospel. Now you got 3,000 people who are now filled with the Holy Spirit, gathering together in worship, growing together in community, giving their resources to the kingdom, and now they're going on mission, and that group of people turned the world upside down. These believers lived on mission every single day. If you just read the book of Acts, you'll understand that the early church did not see vocational pastors as the ministers of the gospel, but rather every blood-bought believer was a minister of the gospel. And they shared their faith. They shared it in the public settings. They cared for the needs of the community. They shared Jesus with their neighbors. They loved those who persecuted them. They loved and served one another as an example of the power of the gospel in their lives. When they were persecuted, they did not say, God, remove the persecution. Here's what they prayed. God, help me be faithful in the persecution to continue to proclaim your name. This was a church that lived on mission. And listen, I do not want us to be a church. You saw this if you were here last week on the video of the earliest days of me being here at New Beginnings. It, is, it would be the saddest thing for me is for you to sit here for decades and only occupy a seat and only sit in a classroom and only give some of your resources to the kingdom, but never actually walk on mission yourself. I want to see God do a movement so great That you in this room, you experience personally the thrill of what it looks like to sit eye to eye with someone as you explain the faith and you're tripping over words and you don't know how to say and you think you're messing it up and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit falls at that coffee table as you're having that conversation and new life begins in the other person all simply because you were obedient to share and you watched someone move from death to life. Some of you have seen it. Some of you have never seen it. My prayer is that some of you will get off of of American soil and get onto the soil of another country where you can engage with people who have very little access to the gospel so that through your preaching and teaching and serving and drilling water wells and caring for the medical needs of the community that you might have an open door to see God use you in ways you never imagined. That is the heartbeat. And this is a rhythm not for the varsity Christians. This is a rhythm for every Christian. And by the way, you you need to start where you are. For some of you, listen, it may not be foreign soil. It may not be, you may not be in a place where you can get on an airplane, but you you can pray for those who are. You can supply the needs for those who are. You can help equip those who are. So let me just say it like this. Listen, listen. If you have life in you, Look at me. If you have life in you, you have a calling on you. If you have life in you, you have a calling on you. And that calling is to go on mission. It is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And this is what you see throughout the New Testament. That they understood that the church was not meant to be a cruise ship, but rather an aircraft carrier. I've talked about this before. The church is never meant to be a cruise ship. What is a cruise ship meant for? Luxury, right? You get on the boat, they bring you a drink, they bring you a plate of food. Your job is just to sit there and soak in the sun and the waves and get in the pool and eat until you have to roll yourself back to your bed. And if you're ever uncomfortable, you let someone know and they'll get you what you need to be comfortable. Their job on a cruise ship is there to make you feel like, man, you are a million bucks because you're paying a million bucks to be there. Listen, the church is not a cruise ship. So many of us, we see the church as a place where you need to roll the red carpet out. You need to make sure that I'm cared for. Uh, 14 people need to speak to me when I walk in the door. I need to make sure that everything in the environment is perfect for me and my family. And the moment it's not, you go shopping for another place to attend. That's a cruise ship mentality. Listen, we are aircraft carrier. Some of y'all thought I was going to say a battleship. No, no, no. The church, the church gathering, the Sunday gathering isn't the battleship. It's the aircraft carrier. What's the aircraft carrier for? Aircraft carrier is to get you near to the battle, but give you a refuge where you can come and refuel to get back out to the mission. The Sunday gathering is meant to be an aircraft carrier, to be a place where you, after being battle-whipped and torn through the week, you can come in here and be refueled and encouraged and loved on and then sent back out into the battlefield. This is what the early church saw. Listen to this. Listen to what Aristides, in A.D. 125, he wrote to Emperor Hadrian. Um, Hadrian hated Christianity, despised it, but he wanted a reason for the spread. Why is it that this thing has taken over the Roman Empire? And Aristides wrote this. Listen to what he says. He says, if one or other of them have bondmen or bondwomen or children... Through love towards them, they persuade them to become Christians. In other words, if they have someone who's of lower class working for them. They, in love, share the gospel with them. It says, through love towards them, they persuade them to become Christians. And when they have done so, they are called brethren without distinction. In other words, it's not upper class and lower class. We are one in Christ. He says, they do not worship strange gods. They go their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them, and they love one another. And from uh, widows, they do not turn away their esteem and they deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. And he who has gives to him who is not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and they rejoice over him as a very brother. And they do not call them brethren uh, after the flesh only, but brethren after the Spirit and God. And whenever one uh, of their poor passes from this world, each one of them, according to his ability, gives to the need of him and carefully sees to his burial. And if they uh, hear that one of their number is in prison or afflicted on the account of the name of the Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his necessities. And if it is possible to redeem him, they set him free. And if there is among them any that is poor or needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. This is a non-believer observing the church going, you want to know why Christianity is on the move it's because they love each other and they love the world and they're generous and they live on mission and they share the gospel and there's a unity that they have and there's this passion that they have for the world and no one is out of the scope of being cared for by them and because of this the book of acts says in verse 47 and the lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved church family listen this is the goal We want to see God do a transforming life in the work of men and women, bringing them from being dead in their sin to being alive in Jesus. This is what we've been called to, to roll up our sleeves and to get in the fight for the souls of men and women who without Jesus are perishing. Listen, the church is not a mall that you shop at to get your needs met. It's a family that you're a part of for the purpose of advancing the mission of God. Well, let me just summarize everything I've said about going on a mission like this. It's in the words of a pastor, Aaron Loy. Here's what he says. He says, the church doesn't exist to meet your needs. You are a part of the church that exists to meet the needs of the world. Put away your shopping cart and pick up your shovel. How good is that? Church family, four rhythms. Gather in worship. Grow through community. Engage in a life group. Give to the kingdom. Let the gospel create a rhythm of your life, of being generous with the world around you, and then go on mission. Get in the game. That is my prayer for you. And that is my prayer for our church. Let's pray. Father, I love you, and I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for the truth that allows us to know that you are God who has a plan for our life and that plan is the local church that by Jesus we are brought together into a greater work and we are better together. And we are to love your bride, the bride that you died for. We are to care for her. We are to engage with her. And Lord, we know that the bride is not perfect because we are not perfect. But God, we know that the bride is being perfected and that the bride is being prepared for a glory that is waiting us. And until then, this bride is called to be on the mission field, loving one another, growing together, investing our resources into your kingdom, and and mobilizing ourselves into action so that we might see your kingdom expand on earth. God, help New Beginnings become that church. Help every single person in this room develop those rhythms. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen.